Tonight, what I want us to do is to look at a text. If you have your Bible, open it to Jeremiah chapter 5 and chapter 6. That's where we'll be looking uh, tonight. And I want to, well, I had a college-age guy come in my office a number of years ago. And uh, he came in and basically said this, I don't think I believe in God anymore. And I said, well, why not? And he began to go through all these uh, things that he had heard in school and and uh, all, uh, all sorts of uh, reasons. But I also know that at the same time, he was living a life of rebellion. And here's the thesis or the premise of the lesson. I think faith and morals are tied together. I think your morals will affect your faith or your faith will affect your morals. I don't think you can have a faith that is way up here and live a moral life way down here. Something's got to move. Either your faith will raise the level of your morality or the level of your morality will pull down your faith. And I think that a lot of faith issues that especially young people talk about aren't really faith issues. At the root, they're moral issues. And people say, sometimes they reason like this. I'm going to have my fun for a while. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live for myself. I've been under my mom and dad's roof for long enough. Now I want to experience some stuff. And when I get done, I plan on coming back. I don't plan to live my whole life this way. You know, I'll get out of school and I'll get married and have a family and I'll settle down. But right now, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live the way I want to live. The problem with that is that you may not have faith to come back to. When you live an immoral lifestyle, that will affect your faith. And the faith that you have now that you say, oh, I'm going to do this for a while, but I will come back, you may not have that faith to come back to. Now, that's the premise. Our morals affect our faith. Is it true? Can I sustain that? Well, I want us to look at Jeremiah chapter 5 and Jeremiah chapter 6 because I think we have a domino effect um, stated in this chapter, uh, these two chapters that I think prove the very thing that, that I'm affirming tonight. Let's uh, go back and let's look at, first of all, let's begin in Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 26. Jeremiah says, for among my people are found wicked men, or this is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah, they lie in wait as one who sets snares, they set a trap, they catch men as a cage is full of birds, so their houses are full of deceit. Therefore they have become great and grown rich, they have grown fat, they're sleek, yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper. And the right of the needy, they don't defend. Let's establish this point. The people were wicked. And this is what he's saying. The people were wicked. He, he uses the expression, they are found wicked men. There are found wicked men among the people. And I want you to notice something else too. Because what you see 
is the wickedness that is described is not the kind of wickedness that, uh, you know, is in some seedy part of town. It's, it's not the kind of wickedness that you necessarily do under the cover of darkness that you, you try to hide so that people don't know you're involved in. The wickedness that is being discussed is the wickedness that can happen to us that we might be guilty of. Last week, I think it was, I was talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. And I, I talked about how the, you know, the first thing that we say, oh, why were they destroyed? Oh, yeah, the homosexuality, the, the abomination, that, that was the reason. It was one of the reasons. And I gave the wrong passage and had you all flip it. When I was reading that passage last week, I said, do you all not know where Ezekiel is? Because, <laughs> you know, the pages were flipping for a long time. I said chapter 26. But it's actually Ezekiel chapter 16. Um, my wife told me I said the wrong chapter. I didn't believe it at first, but I guess I did. <laughs> but um, Ezekiel chapter 16. The sins of Sodom. He mentions homosexuality, the abomination. But it was stuff like, you haven't helped the poor. You sit and you're full and you have all your needs met while your neighbor is struggling and it doesn't bother you? You see, God is concerned about justice. He's concerned about mercy. He's concerned about day-to-day living. It's not just a set of rules and regulations, Christianity. What we do here when we come to church, it's a lifestyle that we live in the world. And it involves showing compassion and mercy and loving your fellow man. And they weren't doing that in Sodom. And that's something that I might be guilty of living here in Knoxville, Tennessee. The sins that these people were guilty of, look at what he says. He said that they've grown rich. They're sleek. But they don't plead the cause of the fatherless. Have no concern for those who are less fortunate. They prosper, but they don't help those who are in need. Don't defend those who are in need. As long as I'm being taken care of, everything's good. God said that is not just unwise. He said it's wicked. Okay, so let's at least establish this. There's wickedness among the people. That's what he says. Well, what happens when people begin to live immoral lives? Well, when there's wickedness, the existence of moral sin, what's the next step? Well, when one practices immorality, he doesn't love the truth. Look at uh, chapter 6 and verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, the ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. All right, here's the domino effect. There's sin. Well, when there's sin, guess what? You don't love the truth. And that's the situation here. Those who, uh, he said, who can I talk to? These people are sinful, but they won't listen. They they are practicing sin. They're not going to listen to the truth right now. And when I tell them the truth, they, they consider it a reproach. They, they have no delight in truth. 
the Bible tells us that there are people, well, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, he describes a people that um, are so set in sin that they believe a lie rather than the truth. They don't have the love of the truth. And there's a difference in saying, well, you know, this is what truth says, and saying, I love the truth contained therein. I had a person come to me one time and say, well, I know that's what the Bible says, but I hate that it says it. You hate the truth? You'll consent that it is truth, but you hate that it's that way? Really? Jesus said, you can't be ashamed of me or my words if you want me to do justice before the Father with regard to you. We need to love the truth. But you can't love the truth when you practice error. If you're doing the wrong thing, you're going to have contempt for the truth. When somebody says, oh, you shouldn't be doing that because the Bible says, you're going to say, ah, I'm not interested in what the Bible says. I know, I know, don't go preaching to me. You see, we show a contempt for truth when we practice error. So when there's existence of moral sin, then we don't love the truth. Well, what happens when we don't love the truth? Well, when you don't love the truth, what are you going to love? Error. Look at Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 14. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. These people are sinners, they're practicing immorality, so they don't love the truth anymore. So what do they do? They, they open themselves to error. All right, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do this. How many times have you heard people say, um, I don't think it's wrong to drink. You know, I don't think... Do you ever wonder if the conclusions that they've come to about certain things might have something to do with what they're practicing in their own life. I know that it's not always the case, but that often is what drives the change that we have in the faith that we hold. A number of years ago, I knew a man who was um, very, I mean, he was staunch on marriage and divorce. In fact, he said, if you divorce you can't ever get remarried, not even for the cause of fornication. And he was very much, very vocal in that position until his wife left him. His wife committed adultery with another man, left him and his twin sons and daughter, and he was having to raise them by himself and found that to be a very difficult proposition And it wasn't very long until his position on divorce and remarriage was modified. You can remarry, after all, uh, when your spouse is unfaithful to you. And um, he may have come through that or come to that conclusion by a very studied, uh, you know, a very rational way. But all too often, where people find themselves will drive their belief system. When a person commits sin, they don't love the truth. When they don't love the truth, they open themselves to error. 
They accept the lie rather than the truth. In fact, turn back to Jeremiah chapter 5 and look at what it says in verse 30. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. That's basically Jeremiah saying, I am blown away by this. Can you get over this? Listen to what's happening here. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. That's not that unbelievable. It happens. I mean, there's false prophets everywhere. There are people that abuse power and manipulate people all the time. Look at what religion has become, and look at how many people have been used and manipulated with regard to religion. And you, they, they use that angle of religion to manipulate, to get money from people, to, to be boss over other people. It happens. So it's not really all that amazing that there would be false prophets and that there would be people, priests, that would manipulate people. But he's not done. Continue to read what he says. And my people love to have it so. That's what's so amazing about it. These guys are abusing their authority They're manipulating people. They're telling lies. And the people are good with it. It's all right. Why why would they be good with it? Because they're telling them things that they want to hear. Paul said to Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they'll heap unto themselves teachers, having itching ears. They'll turn away from the truth. And they'll turn to fables. That, that's what we're talking about. I don't want, I don't love the truth because I'm practicing error. And if I don't love the truth, I've got to embrace something else, error. And it makes it convenient. I, I have now a way to justify, oh, if, if you want to be unfaithful, if, if you want to live an adulterous life, you, you come up with things like, well, I just think God wants me to be happy. No, we're going to talk about that in our Mythbusters class here in, in uh, Sunday mornings that we're de- dealing with. But God doesn't, it's not God's aim that you be happy. It's not. It's his aim that you be holy. And happiness can be a byproduct of holiness, But holiness is God's aim. Don't ever say that God wants you to be happy and therefore you can disregard what his law is. But that's what people do. If you don't love the truth, you open yourself up to error. When you open yourself up to error, the next domino takes place. You sear your conscience. Here's the situation. you got a man who's practicing sin, and when you practice sin... You don't want people telling you what the truth says. You don't love the truth anymore. And if you don't love the truth, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to accept the lie. Well, what happens when you accept the lie? You go a step further, and now your conscience is seared. What's the Bible say about a seared conscience? Well, Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 15, look at what it says here. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they weren't at all ashamed. 
nor did, it, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at a time I will punish them. These people were doing things that were shameful. And Jeremiah says, they don't, it, it's like water off a duck's back. They don't even know how to blush anymore. Just with reference to clothing, and I'm just going to use this by way of illustration. Have you ever gone out, gone to the mall or gone to a ball game or something, and you see somebody and you go, are you kidding me? Are you not embarrassed to wear that? People that ought not be wearing certain things are wearing certain things, you know? It's just, there, there's, there's no shame, there's no embarrassment, which it's a sign of where they they are when they were told that they're committing abomination they said so i don't count it as anything big deal we're going to go ahead and do it and i'm not ashamed and and i can't be brought to blush anyway that's what happens when we have our conscience seared um, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2 that uh, our conscience can be seared as with a hot iron. You know, I, I don't know if you, you know, have worked hard enough that you had calluses on your hands and, and you know, you can maybe take a, a needle and, and stick it in one of those calluses and it, it'll stick to your hand. Doesn't hurt because you're calloused. It's skin that's seared. It doesn't have any feeling in it. That's what the Lord says can happen to our hearts. We can turn away from the truth to the point where our heart gets seared, and it doesn't at all phase us. What used to be embarrassing, what used to prick your conscience, what used to make you feel guilty and ashamed, it no longer does anymore. Because you've embraced it for so long that the shame is gone, the embarrassment's gone. You, you, you just do it. It's become a new way of life. Well, what happens? Well, and again, Ephesians tells us that there are people who are past the point of feeling. And that brings us to the next domino. When I decide to sin, then I'm not going to love the truth. And when I don't love the truth, I'm going to open myself up to a lie. And when I open myself up to lie, I, I sear my conscience. And when I sear my conscience, then what happens? I go that final step and I destroy myself. What's a man to do who has a seared conscience? How can the gospel of Christ ever have an impact in a person's life if their conscience is seared? If there's no feeling, you cannot please God without feeling. I know sometimes we have overreacted to the Pentecostals and, you know, all this charismatic movement stuff. And so we show no emotion at all. We're, we're you know, sometimes just, there, there we are. You know, we, we can't respond in any way. And that's, to be right with God, we have to feel. We have to have emotions. Because repentance involves emotion, does it not? Because you say, I'm sorry. That's a feeling. That's an emotion. You can't turn from sin unless you're sorry. You can't come back to God unless you feel guilt 
and, and um, sorrow for what you've done. And if I sear my conscience, how will I ever get right with God? What will ever be able to, to wake me up, to snap me out of it, to make me feel guilty, to, to, to feel sorrow for my sins? Have you ever seen anybody that sits and grabs a hold of the pew in front of them and, and squeezes to hold on so that they don't respond? It, it's got them. I mean, they're convicted. They know what they need to do, but they're not sure whether they want to make that decision right now. They're, they're, they feel guilty. They feel convicted, but they're not ready. There's some reason to procrastinate. And so they hold on for dear life so that they don't walk down that aisle. Maybe it's just the fear of walking down the aisle. You take a person and let them hear the invitation extended time and time and time again. And you say, no, 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 no. The time can come when you don't have to hold on to the pew to keep you in your seat because it doesn't matter anymore. You don't feel guilty. You don't feel pains of conscience because your heart has been hardened. And when you get to that point, I don't know what can be done for you. I don't know what anybody can do when your heart is seared. Because how are you ever going to repent? How will you ever come back uh, to God in sorrow? Um, and so here's, here's the connection that I'm trying to get you to see. Moral sin does affect our faith. In fact, it has a domino effect. It has a direct correlation to our faith. When somebody comes up and says, you know what, I'm going to live the way I want to right now. I'm going to have some fun before I settle down. Um, but but I plan to come back. I plan to get right. I'm not going to live this way all my life. I, I, I want to just do some stuff for a while. I want to be on my own. I want to, want to make my own decision for a while. If you think that those moral choices won't affect your faith, you're mistaken. And if you stay in it long enough, you won't have a faith to come back to because of this progression that is laid out in Jeremiah chapter 5 and 6. And don't we see it happen all the time? People decide, you know, and, and that brings me full circle back, you know, the, the, the guy that came in my office and said, I don't believe in God anymore. Is it that you really don't believe in God anymore? Or is it because you've made some moral choices in your life that believing in God makes it really hard on you? And you've chosen just to expunge him from your belief system. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, they deny God. They deny the creator. They, They worship the creation rather than the creator. And he said they're without excuse. They know good and well there is a God It's evident from nature that there is a God, but they don't like to retain God in their knowledge. Why? Because of the sinful life that they were living. That deal with accountability, that deal about having to answer to God and give an account for yourself, and man, that's just, who wants to live under the oppression of that? I'd rather just say, I don't believe in any of it. And that way I can sin with impunity, I can sin without guilt, 
I can do my own thing. I'm just, and the point of the lesson tonight is really a, a, a warning about our morality. Don't think that you can sin and, and protect certain sins in your life. Defend certain sins in your life. Don't think that you can do that and it won't affect your faith. It will. We see it here. And the way that it affects it, again, is this progression. When you're guilty of sin, you no longer love truth. When you don't love truth, you believe a lie. When you believe a lie, you sear your conscience. When you sear your conscience, there's nothing left. There's no hope. Let's be aware of this. And tonight, as we sing this song of encouragement in just a minute, I want you to think about this. Where are your morals? Let me ask you this first. Where is your faith? Where where do you think God has placed the bar, the expectations for your life? It's probably up here. Now, let me ask you this. Where are your morals in reference to the faith that you ought to be living out? If your morals are down here, this is what I ought to be, way up here. I know that's what the Bible says. I need to be way up here, but I'm living down here. If that's the case, it won't be the case for long. It will even out. Your morals will either rise to the level of your faith, or your morals will drag your faith down to the level of the way you're living. I hope that we will raise our morals to the level of God's standard, the faith that He's revealed to us, and not pull the Word of God down and try to justify everything that we know is injusti- that, that cannot be justified because that's what we like. That's what we want to do. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, you know what you need to do. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that tonight. If you're a child of God already, but there's sin in your life and there are things that you haven't really come clean with, you know they're wrong. You know what God's Word says, but you think it doesn't matter, really. It's not that big of a deal. I hope tonight's lesson will show you that it is. It starts a domino effect, a progression that will result in your destruction Come clean while you still can. If you still have conscience to feel guilty of things that are you're doing that are wrong, you need to confess it. And thank God we serve a God who delights in mercy. He doesn't just have to be merciful to us. He loves it. He delights in mercy. Forgiveness is just a step away. If you need us to pray, pray with you, that you be stronger, more faithful, we invite you to come also as we stand together and sing.